Hello and welcome back uh, to this next couple of episodes of our podcast here talking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Now what I want to do in this episode and in a couple of the following episodes uh, is reiterate a couple of things but then jump into each of the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to specifically dive into them um, as they're listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 give a little bit of definition um, as is provided by the original Greek for each of these gifts, talk about what it looks like to operate within the gifts. And part of that will be helpful as maybe you're sitting there wondering what gifts do I have or what gifts uh, has the Lord maybe placed a passion uh, in my heart for as we list out these things, maybe you'll realize, oh, actually that describes me. Like maybe that is a gifting that the Lord has given to me or I would really like to, to walk in that more deeply. And so we're going to walk through what this gifting looks like being put in practice. And then we're also going to talk about some of the cautions that are necessary to operate correctly in each of these giftings. So here we go. Let's jump right into it. To start with, I want to, I want to remind ourselves in the conversation about the gifts of the spirit. Maybe you watched the last or, or listened to the last podcast and um, it was like 30 seconds ago and you've just moved right into this one, or, uh, this is the first episode you're listening to either way. I want to remind us of a few of the essential things. Whenever we talk about the gifts of the spirit, I will always, 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 you're going to get tired of hearing it, but we will always say it. Um, it's not about the gifts as much as it is about the gift giver. That is so crucial so important for us to understand. It is good for us to dive into this. In fact, as I talked about in the last episode, we should be obedient in obeying the command of Scripture to earnestly desire the gifts. However, they should not replace the gift giver. It is so much more about the gift giver, your relationship with him, and the gifts being a holy byproduct of the relationship that you have being worked out in and through you. Also, your value is not determined by your giftedness. You are not a more mature believer if your gifting is more, quote, powerful. Um, that's just simply not how it works. Uh, there's a lot of people who have been gifted, and the Lord loves the people through which those individuals will minister to using those gifts. But unfortunately, sometimes you see character issues. Um, Sometimes you have some amazing people of God who are really desiring to see God work in specific gifts, but just haven't seen it. Uh, that doesn't mean that he loves you less, that he values you less, that he uh, just doesn't want to or can't trust you with things. Uh, the Lord is just in his wisdom. He does things that I can't give you a formula for. That's just not how he operates according to his desires and in his wisdom he operates and he withholds according to his wisdom. So your value is not determined by your giftedness. Also, um, as we mentioned before, it's, it's kind of a good reminder that the main point of spiritual empowerment is being intimately connected with the spirit of the living God so that you are so in tune and in step with what the Lord is doing, that you're prepared at any given moment to operate with whatever gift the Lord called you to use. In the sermon that I preached this past Sunday, we did a little bit of question and answer, and one of the questions that was asked is, you know, which, which can somebody have all of the gifts? Um, and to which I would say, there's nowhere in Scripture that says you only get one gift, and 
Um, there's nowhere in scripture that says that you shouldn't go after all the gifts. And in fact, we all as believers have the gift giver within us. Therefore, we all have access to each of the gifts. So the point is not even necessarily to be so fixated on particular gifts, whether or not they are ones that you have already been gifted with, operate with on a normal basis or whatever. <clears throat> the point is I am so in sync in my relationship with the Lord that at any given moment, whether it comes by surprise or I saw it coming, whatever, that I'm able to operate in partnership with the Holy Spirit who has been given to me to produce fruit, to minister to others, to make the love and glory of God made known. That's what he does. And, and, and that relationship with him is the point. It is the goal. And scripturally, I just want to remind us that in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, Jesus himself said this, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then in John chapter 12, verse 49, he says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And then lastly, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we see where we are reminded that it was from the moment of Jesus's baptism when he was water baptized and then the Holy Spirit descended upon him that from that moment on he began doing the wonders and the signs and the powerful ministry that he did. It was in the empowerment of the Spirit that, that he did this. Jesus himself, who is God himself, operated in partnership and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So with those reminders, I want to jump into some of the different gifts that are listed off in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In particular, you're going to see these um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse around verse 28, and Romans chapter 12 around verse 8. Uh, so the first one that I want to talk about is administration or leadership or guidance or government. Depending on your translation, those different words are used. Within that, And if we were to define that in the original Greek, it's to set or place over, superintend, preside over, be a protector or guardian. Someone with this gift will usually tend to be a great organizer of events, details, and or people. When there's a task to be completed and most people are ready and willing but unaware of how to get started, those with the gift of administration can see what needs to happen, how to make it happen, who to enlist into the process, and where those people fit best. Romans 12, 8 charges those gifted with leadership to do so with zeal. Man, have you been placed in a, in a position of leadership? Have you been gifted with a gift of leadership? Do so with zeal. That's a challenge, not just to get the job done or make it to Friday or, or whatever, to, to do it with zeal. Administrators are also excellent delegators. So extroverted administrators thrive when working with people. They appoint leadership teams, they organize volunteers, and recruit those who need a little nudge to get involved. Introverted administrators may feel more comfortable behind the scenes, planning events and organizing calendars that benefit the whole church. They are more project-oriented, while extroverted administrators are more relational. <clears throat> So a couple of words of caution regarding the gift of administration. 
Um, because those gifted in this area are good at organization and processes, they need to make sure not to rely too much on methods at the expense of following the Spirit's lead. For example, uh, Sarah may have been great at doing the welcome for every woman's event that you've ever done so far, but as the administrator of this event, the Lord may be preparing someone else to do it this time. So it's one of those, I know what works and who works well in these situations, but I want to make sure to follow the Lord's leading. And what about this next time? What would you say, Lord? It is a gifting from the Lord, but not to be used in um, separation from the Lord. So it's from the Lord, but meant to be used in participation with the Lord. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Also, if the person being tasked to be the administrator over an event um, it has the gift of administration, um, you want to make sure that you remain honoring in how you deal with those, any, any people who are placed in a position of authority over you within the church. So you may have the gift of, of administration. You've been given authority to organize and run and lead a ministry or an event or something like this but you want to make sure that just because you are in that leadership role that you are still remaining honoring and how you relate with those who are in authority above you within the church so that's the gift of administration or leadership the next gift would be service or helps this is romans 12 7 1 corinthians 12 28 and defining this it's service or ministering, especially of those who execute the commands of others. So the word for this gifting is also the word that's used to label the role of a deacon in a church who is a leader in serving others. So the, the verb um, is, if you were to say in English term, it's helping, whereas a deacon, for example, that noun would be translated as helper. So are serving and server. So a deacon is a chief servant, um, a chief helper within the church. But this is a gifting in general. We're talking about the verb and the gifting. Um, so someone with this gift is ready to meet the needs of other people and the needs of the church. This could be helping to clean the church, serving in childcare during events, taking meals to people in hard times, just things like this. Often you might see people gifted in mercy also operating in service or helps type of ministries because they see the need, they feel the need, and they, they operate uh, in, in the need. The word is often translated as ministry and menstruation, which helps remind us of the how of operating in the gifts. We minister to the Lord. That's how it reminds us of us of things like Colossians chapter 3 verses 22 through 24 that says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So a word of caution that I would bring with this gift is Serving in order to gain acceptance, approval, and or value from other people taking notice of your ministry. You want to make sure that you're checking your heart in the way. Am I serving? Am I finding value? Am I finding validation? Am I finding affirmation in the fact that people see it or express appreciation for it? Or 
Am I doing it knowing that the Lord sees it? Um, <clears throat> people want affirmation. They want to know that uh, we just appreciate that people see that and, and, and uh, value what we're doing. But again, the, the main point is not to allow a gift that the Lord gives you um, to produce within you any kind of approval or need or requirement from men in the operation of it. We do it as chief servants unto the Lord. One day you will receive that affirmation from the Lord and it will be far better than any approval or affirmation you could receive on earth. The next gift is acts of mercy. So this comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 8. And the definition is to have mercy on, to help one afflicted or seeking aid to help the afflicted. The gift of mercy is obvious in those who are compassionate towards others who are in distress, showing sympathy and sensitivity coupled with a desire and the resources to lessen their suffering in a kind and cheerful manner. Those with mercy are charged to operate in this giftedness in, the, in uh, Romans chapter 12 with cheerfulness. Mercy is what we express when we're led to God to be compassionate in our attitudes, words, and actions. It is more than feeling sympathy towards someone. It is love enacted. I love that. Mercy is love enacted. Love enacted. Mercy desires to answer the immediate needs of others and alleviate suffering, loneliness, and grief. Mercy addresses physical, emotional, financial, or spiritual crises with generous, self-sacrificial service. Mercy is a champion of the lowly, poor, exploited and forgotten and often acts on their behalf. So another word of caution for this gifting would be, um, I'm reminded of a book that is out there. It's, it's about missions, but it's called Preach and Heal. Um, the person with the gift of mercy should make sure to champion both showing mercy towards people's literal needs and lead them to the truth of how Jesus provided mercy for their salvific and spiritual needs as well. So the book Preach and Heal is essentially about how, unfortunately, sometimes in missions, there's two different camps. There's, there's a camp that says, hey, these people have severe needs. They're poor. Uh, they don't have any schools. They don't have any hospitals. They don't have any clean drinking water. And they say, we need to go meet those needs. We need to go in and build a school um, do medical camps, maybe build a hospital, uh, dig wells, all of these things. Um, and so they meet the needs and they kind of ha have the mantra, people don't care what you know until they know that you care kind of concept. But then you have on the other side, you have um, sometimes you have people who say, hey, missions is all about preaching the gospel. What does it matter if you make their life a little more comfortable with a hospital or cleaner drinking water so that they're more comfortable during this life but then spend an eternity in hell. Um, and the reality is is that both camps are correct but it's not meant to be mutually exclusive. The point is to preach and heal. Jesus sent them out to, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, and preach the kingdom. And so when it comes to the gift of acts of mercy, a caution there is to understand that while the enacting, the working out of this giftedness will respond in ministering to people's needs and people's brokenness and people's uh, struggles, and a lot of time that's a very physical struggle, um, it's doing that unto the purpose of connecting them with the Lord. Again, the point of the gifts is to represent to the word that um, 
that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 is manifestations of the Spirit. So the, the gift of acts of mercy is meant to manifest the character, the heart, the personhood of God himself through, through the Spirit, through you. And so as you are alleviating those needs through your gift of mercy, you want to make sure to talk about the God who's enacting it through you. Talk about the God that they need even more than their situation. Or talk about the God who is who is ultimately providing for their needs and their issues and their struggles and their hurt and their pain. All right, the next gift is the gift of teaching. We see this in Romans 12, 7 and in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It's to teach, to impart instruction, instill doctrine into, to explain or expound a thing. Often someone with the gift of teaching enjoys diving into the background of scripture knowing context and doing word studies. Um, a person with this gift is able to explain a concept in a way that makes sense. The idea of leading a group of people into a deeper understanding of a concept brings joy and fulfillment. This is one of those things that like, if it's your gifting, like you know it and what I just read. Um, for me, when I read scripture, my quiet time, I am not reading in scripture in order to get a sermon out of it. I'm not. Um, but when I spend time with the Lord, I always have my Blue Letter Bible app next to me because as I'm reading through scripture, I'm coming across words that I wanna know the depth of what the author, whoever wrote that scripture in the original Greek or Hebrew, like what they were saying in their language, because there's so much richness into that. I, I wanna dive into it in the Blue Letter Bible app always helps me figure out and parse a sentence and, and see what the original words were in other places in scripture that use that same word in the Greek or the Hebrew. And I love that, That's just that's just part of what devotionally brings me closer to the Lord and, and, and helps me appreciate and, and interact with him and love him in a way. And it's because of that. Um, I, I uh, often say that a true genius um, isn't just able to write a PhD level paper about a complex um, topic or concept that other PH, that only other PhD um, level people can understand. It's not, true genius is not being able to use big words and to sound smart. To be honest with you, true genius is being able to explain PhD level concepts in a way that kindergartners can understand. Jesus was a master at this and he used a lot of different illustrations and examples. He was a master teacher and he is for sure a, uh, a role model in this gifting. Um, so with this gifting, I would say a word of caution is that it can become easier for someone who operates with this gift to lean more upon knowledge and personal understanding than the spirit when it comes to actually teaching and preaching. And that's just a word, uh, this is something that I've learned along the way as a, as a preacher myself and as a teacher myself, that I do the work ahead of time. I, 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 with the Spirit, am preparing a sermon, but doing all of that actually frees me up to be able to listen for the Spirit while I'm preaching because I'm familiar with all the content, but I'm not teaching from content. In fact, I know a lot of pastors um, who have been preachers, sound biblical 
powerful, uh, expounding and expositional preachers of the word that have, after decades of doing so, turned around and realized, I made a mistake. From their own mouths, they have said, I got really good at doing the mechanics of preaching, but became really bad at partnering with the Spirit to preach. I knew what different things the verse was saying, but I didn't listen for the Lord to explain to me what the people I was going to be talking to that day and that moment during that sermon really needed to hear. And that's just a, that's just a word of explanation that, that I would really um, put caution into, just that it's a good nugget. Um, another thing that I see with this, um, in particular when it comes to discipleship, Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 tells us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this is Jesus speaking, um, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded, um, and I will be with you until the end of the age. One of the things, uh, a word of caution for people who have the gift of teaching when it comes to discipleship is it is easy for people to view discipleship as a transference of information when actually it is walking along somebody, alongside somebody to help them understand, hey, this is what Jesus said. How do we live it out? If he is the Lord of my life, how do I obey this? And so that's really what discipleship is, is walking through the commands that scripture tells us about and then living it out, enacting it, teaching them to obey all I have commanded. And I often see whether it's a small group or discipleship or you know, if you're a Sunday school teacher or whatever it is, that sometimes it's easier for somebody with the gift of teaching to go into teaching mode. Um, but in actuality, what people need is to be led along. And I've actually learned that, that instead of teaching or preaching at people in those moments, is ask questions to help them discover what you would have taught them anyways. Because when they discover it for themselves, personally, they remember it better. Um, and so it's just easier for somebody to, to do that and they have to learn to kind of holster that a little bit because you love the background, you love the information, the facts, and it's really important for their faith and for their walk, but you've got to learn how to help them discover for themselves the reality that God's word says and then walk alongside them to say, how do I live this out? So just another side note. Uh, with this gift, particularly with small groups and discipleship. We also have the gift of exhortation or encouragement. This one's in the list in Romans 12, verse 8. We would define this as to call near, summon, entreat, and persuade. The original Greek word used carries the idea of bringing someone closely alongside them in order to exhort, urge, encourage, give joy and comfort to him or her. Many times a person who is gifted in the area of mercy can have a gifting in exhortation as well. Exhortation and encouragement are supposed to be a byproduct of the gift of prophecy and action, but this gift is different from prophecy in that prophecy is conveying a message which is intended to edify and encourage and comfort, whereas the gift of encouragement can be used by the Spirit through you simply to bring encouragement or comfort to a person in what you say or how you say it. This gift doesn't need a specific role or position to be wonderfully used in the church setting. Just be spiritually unleashed to bring encouragement to many uh, who may come to church in deep need of edification and encouragement. Be at the grocery store, 
and allow the Spirit to work out encouragement and exhortation within you. Uh, I promise you, we, as every day that passes by, live in a time where people need encouragement and edification, especially if it's a word from the Lord. So be the one who uses that gift to bring encouragement or comfort to others. Um, the word of caution for this is kind of like, what would you say to be careful about that? Like, do it is um, in your effort to bring encouragement to somebody, just make sure that what you're encouraging them with um, is biblically sound. Um, sometimes our desire to, to bring edification or comfort to somebody who's in a tough situation, and they may explain just something that's really hard. Uh, you need to make sure that in your desire to encourage them, and there's just so many sweet-hearted, gentle, kind people that want to meet that need, but sometimes we can be tempted to sacrifice truth or the need to speak truth. Um, so either by silence, by not saying anything at all, or by saying something that could be untrue biblically, um, we need to make sure that we're not sacrificing those uh, for the sake of being encouraging. So spiritual gift of encouragement brings spiritual and biblical truth with it. I guess maybe that's a good way of, of tying that up in a nice bow. The next gift would be giving or contributing, and this is seen in Romans 12, 8, and that simply means to impart. Givers take joy in being able to contribute to the needs of others. Many look for opportunities to give. The giver isn't bothered by being asked, but appreciates the opportunity. The gift of giving is not determined by how much money you have or how much money you give. It's determined by the posture of your heart toward giving. The joy for a giver comes from understanding, from definition, the concept of being able to impart unto others. They see their resources as objects of God's grace, with which they have been allowed to steward. When the Lord reveals a direction, they give toward it with joy and cheerfulness. The giver is instructed to give in scripture, in generosity, and with liberality. Now, a word of caution in this uh, gifting is a person with the gift of giving can best overcome feeling like they have to give to everything and feel burdened by guilt if they don't by remembering that this gift is to be done in partnership with the spirit as he leads. So sometimes they feel like, well, I have the gift of giving, so I have to give to this. And if I don't, then I'm just going to feel horrible. Like I'm doing a bad job. Uh, one of the examples that, uh, well, I'll save that for later, but uh, it's just know that none of these gifts are meant to be, here's your gift, as though God says, here's your gift, now Now run off and go use it by yourself. Remember, it's, hey, here's, here's a gift, it's done through me, you receive it because of me, but it's meant to be done together with me. So that, that can alleviate, and there's moments where you can say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And in his wisdom, there legitimately might be reasons and moments where you are not supposed to, for example, financially give into a situation because there's something else that the Lord actually needs. Um, I see this in, for example, in healing. Uh, sometimes the Lord wants to point out a sin that the person is refusing to, for example, uh, um, unforgiveness. I see that a lot. They're unwilling to forgive somebody and the Lord wants to deal with that, which matters so much more than their finger 
um, being unbroken in a moment. They need to release forgiveness. And so I just, I, all of this is to say the Lord's wisdom is so much more infinitely beyond ours. Again, over and over we say the point is to do all things in partnership together with him. Um, also, the giver needs to remember that his or her job is to be obedient in giving and that giving itself does not entitle you to anything in return or ownership over the thing that you uh, gave towards. So you're not entitled to receiving anything back because you're just being a steward and giving, whether or not they acknowledge it, whether or not people know it's from you. Um, in fact, kind of taking into account Jesus's words when he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you give, there might be moments where you need to make sure it's not, oh, everybody see what I'm about to do right now. See how uh, I'm going to give towards this situation. That doesn't mean that every single time you give has to be completely in uh, secret, but the posture of the heart is what Jesus is after in that verse. Um, but also giving towards something doesn't mean that you now have ownership as though you have your gift or your giving makes you part owner in the thing that you gave towards. You're just being a steward and being obedient with the stewardship that the Lord has entrusted you with. The next gift is words of wisdom. This comes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. And it would be defined as being able to speak the wisdom of God into a moment or situation, applying knowledge to its proper end and purpose, and sometimes in its proper timing. So this is not simply having wisdom. However, it is true that real wisdom comes from the Lord and the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And sometimes the wisdom of God seems like foolishness to those who are perishing. I'm quoting scripture on that one. A person who operates in this gift tends to be able to receive all inspiring wisdom for situations in regularity. Although, again, the Spirit definitely drops words of wisdom at different times into his people, regardless of whether or not they regularly operate in this gift. In fact, uh, the book of James talks about, hey, do you, do you need wisdom? Ask for it. God gives wisdom to those who seek him for it, especially when we're trying to have wisdom for something that brings glory and honor uh, unto the Lord and we're desiring to walk in his path and his way for our life. Um, a word of wisdom or caution, <laughs> word of wisdom for, for the literal gift of words of wisdom. Uh, the caution for this gift is that when it's in operation, it can often bring about a sense of awe. It will be essential to a person delivering a word of wisdom to make sure to point that awe and wonder toward the Lord, especially in the midst of a world who attributes it, who attributes it to the person who spoke it. That sometimes this, this word of wisdom is just like, man, that's good. That's it. Like it, it, you, it, the person may say something and everyone in the room is like, oh, I feel the Lord on that. <laughs> or man, that's so good. That's that, that is wow. And it can be tempting to be, you know, kind of revert back to the mommy. Did you see that? Like, did you see what I did? Uh, kind of place that we were born into to, to kind of take credit for that. And I just, I just uh, say all things good. We can never over attribute to the Lord. Um, so we want to make sure that we, especially in the day and age where it's a, uh, Hey, look at me, the me monster, me, myself, and I, there's no I in team, but there is a me kind of thing. Like in this culture that we live in, that is going to want to recognize you, uh, for it and lift you up for it. You want to make sure to lift the Lord up for it. He who is the source of that. 
Um, and you know, perhaps this is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Step one, remember the word came from the Lord, not you. All right, the next gift is words of knowledge. That comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. And we would define that as being able to speak forth a truth or fact that did not come from mind or remembrance or understanding or observation or deduction, but from God. As with words of wisdom, this is not merely being smart or full of knowledge. The key is that the fact or truth you, you speak, it came from the Spirit. Words of knowledge can regard facts about someone's past, present, past or present, right? Like it, it's understanding something that you shouldn't know. Um, and sometimes words of knowledge can be about physical pains, ailments, and how they came to be. In these moments, it's not unusual for a gift of healing to accompany it. So for example, um, Man, there's so many different stories I can think of off, off the top of my head. Um, this, this one I just love. Like every time you go out to eat, just ask the Lord for a word of encouragement for your server um, or your waitress. And, and just, I think you'd be surprised by how many times the Lord uh, will use these moments, a complete stranger, and will speak something into your heart that if you're, if you're uh, courageous enough to just share in a humble way, it will like blow their minds. Um, I, I, I remember being in a coffee shop uh, one time and this lady walked by and I just saw an image, like we're just praying for her and I saw an image of um, a boxer and uh, like, like the, the, the dog and a white rose. And she was, we were praying for, the person I was with was praying for her sister. She would explain, hey, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I want to pray for my sister. Uh, she's going through a hard time or something. And I remember just sharing humility. I was like, hey, I, I, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I, I saw an image while we were praying of, of a boxer dog and um, a white rose. And she was like, oh my goodness. Um, like one of the things that really tied her to her sister is that they both bought um, sibling puppies and they were the breed, they were the boxer breed of dog. And um, what even like blew her mind was, was that the dog that her sister ended up with, the one we were praying for, it had a white, um, no, like it's, it's, it's significantly like prominent white on its nose and the dog's name was Rosie. Um, just little things like that, that the Lord will just drop in there if we're brave enough to say, even if I don't understand what that means, like we can present it in humility, you can be... Uh, completely wrong, but in humility, uh, they still felt um, encouraged from the Lord. But it's just those moments where where people encounter the Lord, I think, that say, man, God sees me. Because I've never met this woman before. I, I hadn't, didn't know anything about her. She didn't share anything about dogs or, or anything like that. But that's just what the Lord put in my heart because he knew that that would let her know he sees her, he loves her. He sees her sister, he loves her sister, and took something special and unique that I would have no business knowing to show her that those are truths that he feels towards her and her sister. I just love that. Uh, there's so many different other examples, but I think I mentioned a second ago, often I see this a lot in, in um, what we call street ministry, just going out beyond the walls of, of the church, wherever you are, and um, oftentimes you'll come across strangers and 
Uh, sometimes the Lord will give you a word of knowledge. You know, you might ask, hey, how can we be praying for you? Oftentimes like, oh, just pray for health and that the Lord would, you know, provide just, just a lot of what I call surviving prayers. Um, and, and I've seen people will be like, wait, hold on. Did you have like a car accident 10 years ago and like you still have pain in, in your lower back like to this day? And they're like, hold on. Yes. Like <laughs> what's going on here? How do you, how do you know that? Um, and in those moments, I would just say, ask, a, you have to think to yourself, why would the Lord tell you that? Yes, so that they know that he is real. He sees them. He knows them. He cares about them. All the things I mentioned above. But I would take it a step further and say, perhaps maybe he's wanting to heal their lower back in this moment. And it really provides faith for the person being prayed for and the person doing the praying. That goes back to the whole reason the gifts exist in the first place. For us to experience and encounter and display God's love and glory, for them to experience and joy and, and display God's love and glory and, and, and to build this relationship where we are all mutually brought closer unto him. I love that. Words of knowledge can, can even be in operation without the person even being aware of it. Uh, sometimes I see this during prayer a lot. You might be praying for someone and start praying for things, not even sure why, and they speak directly to something the person is experiencing or going through but haven't told anyone about. I've seen people even praying over me. They're literally praying the same phrases and sentences that I was secretly praying in my quiet time that morning unto the Lord about a situation nobody knew about. People just praying for random things, big air quotes around random things. But it's the Lord who's using words of knowledge, whether you even understand that you're operating in it or not. Just imagine what it would look like if we intentionally sought to operate in them. And words of knowledge can come to a person in a variety of ways. Um, those ways we will discuss more when we get to the gift of prophecy, but they're including and not necessarily limited to seeing, hearing, knowing, sensing, and feeling. Um, so words of caution um, about operating in the gift of words of knowledge is when being used to operate in this gift, it's going to be really exciting to simply have known something about someone that you couldn't have known. And it's humbling to experience the Lord sharing it with you. But make sure to see through the ministry opportunity. Why did God share that with you? Pray for the person. Speak healing. Pray for deliverance, etc. See beyond it. Uh, it's, it really is an exciting. Like, that was awesome. Again, another word of caution can be make sure that the Lord receives the credit and that the moment is about the person and the Lord there and not about, yeah, but that was crazy when I like all of a sudden knew this and, and I said this, whatever. You can have that debrief kind of moments with, with people after the fact, other people, but like make the moment about them and the Lord and how he feels about them. Make sure to, to keep the ministry moment focused on the point of the ministry moment, if you will. Okay, gifts of healing. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 and verse 28, we see this. Uh, the definition for this would be the ability to speak or pray healing into existence into a person's body through the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that in the original Greek that uh, both of those words uh, are gifts of healings are actually um, plural. And so it's gifts of healing. Sometimes um, we see that or we read it as a gift of healing. I received the healing gift um, or maybe I, I, uh, I received the role of being the healer. Um, and the reality is, is we're not the healer. 
He is the healer. It is his name by which people receive healing and ultimately salvation, not our name. We're just the willing conduit through which we can pray healing into coming about through faith, through the power of Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit. Um, that double plural form of this working of the Holy Spirit reminds us that God alone heals and it teaches us that this gift is not some all-time magic wand where we can just heal at will. Um, in fact, it's important to note that since there are multiple gifts of multiple healings, then someone who commonly operates in this gifting consistently needs the Spirit's working to see healing take place. Does that make sense? It's not a gift where you received, if you will, I, I, I don't like the example, but it helps us understand, some, some spiritual wand that you can wave at any moment, healing for you, healing for you, healing for you. Every single time, this is a gift that we need to be reminded, every single time we are to operate with in partnership with the Spirit in every single moment. In fact, there's absolutely no guarantee that just because you have seen healing before, that you will see healing every time you pray for it, even over the same illnesses or diseases that you've seen healing before. Even Paul, who experienced being used to bring healing, wrote about those close to him who were not healed and almost even died. This means that we must operate in this gift with humility and thanksgiving towards God whenever he grants us to see healing. And we need to still yet be responsible for bringing a degree of faith to the equation. So there's this concept of the Lord brings healing, but we also are supposed to bring faith into the equation, into the prayer, into that moment. Um, and also, again, as we mentioned before, remember to share about the gospel. Jesus' name has the power to heal and save or forgive. A couple of words of caution for this. Perhaps more than most of the other gifts, this gift requires a person to be operating in partnership with the Spirit to lead them. Jesus healed many, but he also walked past a whole bunch of people who needed healing at the pool of Bethesda to heal the one. In the book of Acts, we see where Peter and John come across a crippled man who had been laying at the beautiful gate for decades asking for alms, but Peter, full of the Spirit, looks at him intently and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand and walk. And he rose healed. That guy was at the beautiful gate for decades. You can't tell me that Jesus in his 33 some odd years never walked past that man. But you have to remember, even though he possessed the power to heal, he was following the leading of the Spirit and of the Father. So it's important for us to understand in everything that God operates with a wisdom that we don't always understand, but we should have the faith to in the moment of partnership with the Spirit when he leads us to pray for healing, to expect healing, to, to, to believe for healing. It's just a lot of freedom comes when we realize we're supposed to do all of this in partnership with the Spirit, not just, okay, I want to minister to this person. I want to see this happen. Um, it's supposed to be in partnership. And this is one of those gifts that you could talk about a whole lot more. Um, there's a, there's some, some highest highs in this gift and some lowest lows in this gift when our heart really desires to see something um, that we just don't understand how or why the Lord operates in the way that he operates. So partnership, again, so essential for this gifting. And then we have the gift of faith, 
which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. We would define that as belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence in God or Christ. There's a difference between the gift of faith and saving faith. Saving faith is the confidence in what Jesus has done to save us from sin, receive forgiveness and salvation, and spend eternity with God. The gift of faith is a supernatural confidence in what God is doing or will do in any given situation. I'm totally going to give a shout out to my co-lead pastor's wife, Kristen Link, on this. She might not appreciate this, but love you, Kristen. Um, we're going to honor what the Lord has placed within you through this one. But I remember us being, we were on staff together at a church and um, it was just going through, it had a very large staff and it was going through a financial difficulty. And just during one of the staff meetings one day, they mentioned that, uh, hey guys, unless something changes, like we're probably going to have to make some, some staff cuts. Uh, in fact, they were just saying it kind of like preparing us we're going to have to make some staff cuts. And she raises her hand and, and she says, what would it take for us to not have to do that? And they like, weren't even willing to answer. Like, it's like, it just, we probably just need to prepare. And she's like, but what would it take? And they said, we would have to get like $350,000 more than usual in this coming Sunday's offering for it to, to, to make a difference. And she said, okay, thank you, I have my number. And so she prayed and prayed and prayed in faith and with confidence in God. And that following Sunday, there was more than 400,000 additional uh, money that was given. Uh, and it's just, it's powerful to see that gift of faith, that you just have this spiritual, supernatural sense that God is doing something. Not a, I really want to see something happen and I believe that God is able. It's one of those in partnership with him according to the faith that he provides within you that you operate in it. Sometimes, uh, there's a famous saying, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It requires people to step out on a ledge like many of the prophets in the Old Testament that is like, wow, that was a risk. <laughs> But when you are confident in what the Lord is sharing with you and putting on your heart, you're able to do that. This gift is a wonderful addition to the prayer and ministry team of a church. Man, praying through things and somebody who has that gift of faith, that just really starts churning people's confidence, people's faith, um, and, and praying alongside of that, that the Lord is going to do, do something. So a word of caution with this gift is that sometimes a person can confuse wanting something to happen or believing in God's ability to do something that they confuse it with the faith to call it forward, the gift of faith that is being asked by the Lord to, to, to call into action. Again, this is why it is so important to be intimately in partnership with the Spirit, seeing what He's doing and hearing what He's saying and joining Him in it with faith-filled confidence. Then we have working of miracles, 1 Corinthians 12, 10 and 28. We would define this as a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. So a powerful point on this is the gift of, uh, of working of miracles is the working or affecting of miracles. This isn't simply experiencing miraculous things God does, but being the very voice or hand or vessel that God uses to bring the miracle about. 
Um, examples from this range from all kinds of things, uh, from signs in nature, like uh, we saw in the Old Testament, like holding the sun in place for longer than it's supposed to, um, withholding rain for a season, um, for years even, uh, then praying again and rain being released, uh, miracles like raising the dead, uh, how about calling fire from heaven? Um, I've seen, uh, even experienced even, uh, where rain seems to be literally raining everywhere except around the, the immediate small area that you're in. It's absolutely pouring, except it's not pouring at the, the place where you're doing ministry, whether it's here or overseas or something. Um, often the gift of miracles works in tandem with the gift of faith. Um, you just you just see that the Lord is stirring a faith within you to call forth something in that moment. And the biggest word of caution for this is make sure to give credit and glory to God, right? You didn't actually make that rain stop. You didn't actually make that ball of heaven or ball of fire come from heaven. The Lord did that, but he's working through you. So make sure to give the glory and the honor unto him. And then we have uh, the gift of distinguishing or discernment of the spirits. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. We would define this as it involves the ability to distinguish between what may be natural, what may be a result of the presence and work of evil, and what is, the, what is from the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, or uh, even angelic. Uh, work, if you will. This is not the same thing as a person saying they have good discernment about what to do in a given situation, similar to wisdom, or even being able to read people well. You know, I, I'm really, I, have, I have a really discerning person. I can kind of look at a person and and tell, I don't know, uh, uh, discern people well or read people well. That's not what this is talking about. It's not uncommon for someone with this gift to be able to discern the presence of evil spirits, angels, and or God's presence in a given environment. Sometimes a person uh, may even be able to see them with their physical eyes. Um, I know of many people who have this gift who have visually seen, um, whether it be evil presences, uh, angelic presences, um, and uh, it's it's. It's wild. Uh, for some people, it's it's almost like I can't believe I just saw what I saw, and you know we're like, oh, it's just a ghost story or whatnot. But when you see a correlation to I saw this, I, I, I the whole week this is what was going on in our house around that, and then when I prayed against that and it was removed, literally everything changed inside of our house. Um, just moments like that. Uh, it's just one small example of how. Um, People may operate with that, but um, it's a helpful gift when ministering to people with various problems. Sometimes a person may be dealing with an illness because it's a spiritual attack. Sometimes it may be God withholding healing because of unforgiveness, as an example I gave you before, in their hearts. And sometimes it may just be the result of brokenness in the world. Knowing the root of the issue helps determine the next course of action. Uh, sometimes a person operating in this gift is spiritually aware of the presence of evil in a given situation or place, and they might even spend time during a church service interceding quietly to themselves for deliverance, healing, protection, etc. Um, if they 
And sometimes we see this gift in our, our prayer and ministry team at our church. And it's, it's just a sense of, um, you know, maybe the enemy is, is really, um, been attacking people or an individual regarding depression, maybe even suicide. And we'll have a member of our prayer and ministry team who kind of comes up and expresses, I'm sensing this um, spiritually. And we may even respond to it by saying, hey, calling that out and saying, you know, it's part of our prayer ministry team is, is, is feeling that, that the enemy has been really going after a person or people regarding deep depression, and even suicidal thoughts. Um, and we see people who walk forward, even, even like people we've known, people close to you, to you um, that you had no idea they were struggling with that. And they just come forward and just receive absolute deliverance from that and healing from that. Um, and it's, it's the Lord who operates through his people to let us know. Um, and he's so good in doing that. Um, I remember the first time I was it, was, it was one of the first times I was asked to preach in front of a very large group of people um, at a uh, church um, that for sure, like, never really talked about this, the gifts in general, but certainly not like the gift of discerning of spirits or whatnot. And there was a moment where I felt like the Lord during my sermon laid on my heart that somebody was considering suicide. And I remember... Uh, it was just new towards my practice of the gifts, but just knowing enough to, to, to recognize that that was from the Lord and just speaking that. And, and again, like I'm kind of going into a little bit of words of knowledge in this, um, but sometimes I guess what would differentiate between words of knowledge and the discerning of spirits is that people with the discernment of spirits can recognize and almost sense, almost feel it. Sometimes they're like, man, I just get this feeling that something unholy is like going on. Something is, 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 is happening right now. There's like an attack and you don't have to be in church for this to happen. Um, it could be anywhere and you just kind of come across a person. It could be in, in the store and just all of a sudden start feeling thoughts of depression and suicide. And you're like, this is not me. Why am I sensing this? And what the Lord is doing is the Spirit's trying to tell you, that person over there, that person you just walked by is dealing with this. And I want to use you to see healing and deliverance in it. So such a powerful, such a good gift that often people um, undervalue or ignore because it's different. It's If you've never talked about that, if, if you're new to it, it can feel weird. But when we understand that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities, we realize there's a spiritual warfare going on that we have been given swords. <laughs> we, we have been given gifts to take back what the enemy has, has tried to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. Um, then, man, gifts like this, we realize, are so crucial and so helpful. And the word of caution for that is that people can sometimes be tempted to overcredit the demonic for everything that's wrong um, and can bring harm in the way that they minister accordingly, failing to operate in partnership with the spirit and in love towards the person. So you just have to be really careful. Um, it's just not the case that there's a demon behind every rock. There's just every situation that is not fun or painful or hard is not a demonic attack. Number one, again, we live in a broken world because of sin. So there's natural brokenness. 
And there are other things that are going on that we don't always understand that you want to make sure that just because you've been gifted with the sermon of spirits that you're not over attributing everything to being an attack of the spirit. Um, I remember somebody that was, uh, oh, um, that was fasting and they had, and was experiencing some headaches because of that. And when this person had expressed that they're, they're, you know, experiencing, having experienced headaches or just in the moment where people were clearly seeing something's up with them, they just immediately kind of jumped towards, oh, this is a spiritual attack. Well, no, it wasn't. Um, the, the reality of the bodies that God created us with is if you don't eat a lot, and especially if you hadn't had water in a while, you can get things like headaches naturally. That's the, that's the body that he created us with and those are natural responses. Um, and so that doesn't mean that there couldn't have been a spiritual attack in that, in that way that the enemy doesn't ever do that. It's just that we wanna make sure as with all of this, I don't know if you're sensing a theme here, but the point is to operate in all of the gifts in partnership with the spirit. So crucial. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we will jump into the rest of the gifts in the next episode, and then we will talk about how do I seek out what my gift is? How do I grow in this? What can I do to specifically do this and answer the command to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts?